And one of the things I want to focus on today, just, just about everybody in this room, like it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you're close with Jesus, or, or, or maybe you're not as close as you'd like to be with Jesus, or maybe you're an atheist, or, or even an agnostic, or like, like I don't care where, where you are on your spiritual journey. Like one of the things I know about probably everyone in this room is that some point or another in your life that you have prayed. Like you, you say, I don't know if an atheist prays. Like I, I think they have at least once in their life. Most of the atheists I've talked to um, anyway over the course of, of, again, two and a half decades in ministry nearly, um, like most of them are atheists because they're mad at God, because they prayed for something and, and they didn't get the answer that they wanted. Or, or they experienced something in their life and, and, again, because of that experience, they say they can't believe in God. Um, and uh, most of them, like, especially in the Bible Belt area that we live in, um, and that I grew up in and, and spent my life in. Like most people even grew up going to church as a kid and, and they, they prayed at some point. Because when we get in trouble, whether we necessarily believe God or not, when, when we get in trouble, one of the things that we do is we pray. God, give me that job. God, give me a, another job. God, let him ask me out. God, please don't let him ask me out. <laughs> like make him run away, God. I like like, God, I'm never going to get a date. Uh, we get into these situations in our life that we just, we just cry out to God in prayer. You know, where I grew up, and, and I'm sure it happened around here too, um, but one of the very first prayers that, that I learned as, as a kid was the, the blessing for food. Like, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. And, and actually, as I was studying this, I, don't even, I haven't remembered it, but there's actually more to that prayer. Like, I didn't even know that. We just, we just cut it off short. We were hungry in my house. Like, we're, we're, we're done right there. Um, so, so, yeah, so we, we pray for food. Um, second prayer that, that I, I learned was the, the bedtime prayer. Like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. How jacked up is that? Like, you're sitting there with your little kid at night going, and if you die, like, no wonder they have nightmares and they won't sleep in their own bed. Like, they're scared. Like, it's just creepy. Like, I didn't teach my kids that one, if I die before I wake. Like, no. And those prayers, like, they teach us how to pray, kind of. But I've never met anyone that said, you know what? I prayed that prayer, and it changed my life. Like, no, nobody's ever said that to me. But today I want to teach you a prayer that, that I believe is life-changing. And I want to give you an, an assignment, and it's a very short prayer. And really, I just want you to say this prayer every week, but I want to kind of give you a heads up that if you pray this prayer, um, your, your life will change. Like it will. And this is the prayer. It is, Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people. Like that will mess you up. That's going to change the way you look at your enemies. That's going to change the way you look at your spouse. It's going to change the way you look at people that you work with. It's going to change the way that you uh, treat your server uh, when you go into a restaurant. It's going to see the way that, that you see the, the person that you argued with um, on the way to church this morning. Like when you pray, Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people, it will change you. And this comes from a story in the Bible that's very familiar. If you grew up in church, you, you know this story well. Um, and if you're from a, like I said, you, you've heard it many times. And if you're not from a church background, you've actually even probably heard this story as well. Um, it's called the Good Samaritan, and it's found in Luke chapter 10, um, 
And one of the things uh, right from the start, like back in Jesus' day, like they would have never put those two words together, good and Samaritan. Like they, they would have never uh, gone together because uh, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Like they were dogs. They were the uh, most, most evil people in the world. Um, like good Samaritans kind of like Chicago Cubs and World Series in the same sense. It doesn't sound right. Again, it doesn't even make sense, although they did get lucky once and win like that. But it doesn't even sound right. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, an expert in the law, that was an accomplished person. Like they had achieved a, a status of expert. And today they say if you want to be an expert at something, you need to spend 10,000 hours doing it. You spend 10,000 hours doing something, you'll become an expert. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, you're going to be better at it for sure. But, but it's an accomplishment to be called an expert. Uh, this expert in the law, he would have had the Old Testament memorized. And some of us were talking about that um, this morning. Uh, Don Hall and I were just about you know, people that can memorize some, a, a lot of things. You know, and I have a lot of scripture memorized. I have some song lyrics memorized, some, some movie lines memorized. But I do not have the whole entire Old Testament memorized. Like, I'm just going to be, and if that's a, a turnoff for you, like, you probably ought to find another church. Because, like, I'm probably never going to have it. Um, but when you do, then, then I will as well. So, but this guy, he was accomplished. And what happens so often with, with people who are accomplished or, or they're an expert at something, um, that that accomplishment leads to arrogance. And this guy, because he thought he was something, he decided that he could test Jesus. So he stood up to, to test Jesus and he asked him a question. He said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that he isn't worried about anyone else. It's about me. What, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? Again, I don't blame him because we're all kind of selfish, right? We all have the selfish uh, tendencies about us. And here's the thing about Jesus that often frustrated people. Like, when people would come ask Jesus a question, very seldom did he just answer them. He always asked a question back, or he would tell a story. Here he does both. Um, so this guy asked a question, and it says, Jesus said, what, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Good, and remember, expert in the law, um, had the Old Testament memorized. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And that's when we always get in trouble, when we want to justify ourselves. Like, so he asks another question. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, now that's a great question. Again, you would expect Jesus to answer the question. But he doesn't. He does what he always does, and he tells a story. That's why I love that. That preacher just tells too many stories. Like, you would have hated Jesus. Like, he, that's all he ever did. In verse 30, it says, In reply, Jesus says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, now this verse is loaded. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to, to Jericho. And during that time, uh, the time of Jesus, and even today, um, there's only really one route from Jerusalem to Jericho. We were on it back in, in December. It's a little different now than it would have been uh, back in those days, but it's the, it's the same route. 
um, to get there. Now there's blacktop and pavement and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but it was going down. And it was, um, so J- Jerusalem is way up here, and it's pretty high elevation. And you travel down toward Jericho, which is down toward the Dead Sea. So this is a geographical thing. He's, he's going down to it. And along that route, there's a spot that's kind of flattened out. And this was a spot that was notorious uh, for robberies. It was in the, the bad part of town, so to say. Like, I use my GPS almost everywhere I go. Even if I know where I'm going, a lot of times I'll turn it on uh, just to see if I can beat the time that it tells me that I'll arrive. But, but before that, if you needed directions, you had to pull out the big Rand McNally roadmap out and, and kind of chart your route and, um, and find it. And I still can't use one of those things. It's, it's ridiculous. You can't even fold them back up and get them back the way they belong. But, but when the internet first came out before GPS, there was this thing called MapQuest. And MapQuest never got it right. Like it didn't, but people still went and looked. And, and I remember one time I was going to a youth ministry conference in Joplin, Missouri, uh, so I was probably 19 or 20 years old when I was doing youth ministry. Um, and we were driving to Joplin, Missouri. And somehow um, I ended up in uh, East St. Louis. Like, it was scary. Like, it was pulling through like the Griswold. Like, roll them up. Like, it was the bad part of town. And you, you didn't want to be there. And this guy, he was on a journey and he wound up in a bad spot. And I think we've all been in a bad spot, haven't we? Whether we intentionally chose to go there or we accidentally got there, like we've all been in a bad place. And Jesus said this guy was attacked by robbers. And, and I believe there are attacks going on today all the time. Like I believe in spiritual warfare, I really do. The Bible talks that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul writes, but it's against the authorities and the principalities and, um, of this dark world. Like, I believe there's spiritual battles going on all the time. I believe most of the battles that, that people face now are emotional and spiritual, uh, more so than, than physical. Like physical attacks, I believe they happen. Um, but, but I don't believe we, we see a lot of those today here in the United States anyway. And, and I've seen some, and, and I don't talk about it a lot. Like, listen, because I'm, I'm not the man to deal with that. Like, I, I'm not. If you call me over and you say, hey, can you come see my daughter? And I walk in and her head's spinning and green stuff's flying out of her mouth and she throws me up against the wall like I'm out. <laughs> like I am like, sorry, have fun, like, but, but I'm out. But I believe, though, that there are people here watching online. And that's how you feel emotionally or spiritually. You feel like, like this guy that the enemy has stripped and beaten and robbed. And you feel like you've just been left half dead. Many of you know what that's like emotionally and spiritually. There are some people here and you're wondering if you're going to make it through this week because of what you've gone through. Ultimately, the enemy wants to strip you of your self-worth, your identity, and of the belief that you are loved by God. He wants to strip us all of that, and he wants to walk away, leaving us half dead. I heard a guy uh, that was trying to sound really smart, and have you ever heard somebody that was trying to sound really smart, but, but they don't? You say, yes, every week. Um, standing. <laughs> but he said something like this, nobody really wins a fight. 
I was like, I've been in a couple of those. I've been on the giving end and on the receiving end. And I agree with Jesus, it's better to give than to receive. Like, like there are some people here, like, and you just feel like you've been worn out, like you've been beat up. And, and a lot of people, we, we make judgment calls on, on surface level things. They, they'd look at this story and they'd make some assumptions about, about the guy or the situation. And they'd say things like, well, he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been there. Wrong place, wrong time. You know, we, we've learned right place, uh, right time, right, right people. This guy was in the wrong place, wrong time. He, he, he shouldn't have been there. But we don't know why he was there. It's easy to make judgment calls when we don't have all the details. Like if I said there was a guy that was shot last night behind a strip club because he was trying to force a, a girl uh, into his car. Everybody thinks, well, he deserved to be shot. What if I told you that guy was a father and the girl was his daughter and he was trying to rescue her from sexual slavery? The details make, make, make a difference. It's all in the context. It, it changes our perspective. You know, we don't know why this guy was on the road. And a lot of times I think we need to be real careful about what we say about people who are going through a tough time and the way that we handle that. Something else that is often said is, I guess he had it coming. He, he just had it coming. Told him not to go on that road. Told him not to go then. He deserved it. At the end of the day, how many of us really want what we deserve? Not me. He just, he had it coming. Or maybe he learned his lesson. Here's the thing about seeing people as Jesus sees people. It takes those phrases out of our vocabulary. When we begin to say these phrases, it comes from a judgmental attitude. But listen, when someone is beaten, stripped, and left half dead, they don't need evaluation. They need participation. They need somebody to jump in and help them in their mess. And this is where Jesus gets to the interesting part of the story. He says a priest happened to go to be going down the same road. Pause. A priest is going down the same road. It was by God's grace that this guy came along before the priest did. The priest would have been first. He might have been the one beaten, stripped, left half dead. That's why it's real important that when we see someone going through a tough time, like we don't make a judgment call. But we say, hey, by God's grace, that's not me. And when Jesus said that, a priest walked by, they would have thought, great, this guy's a priest, he's going to help. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Did you know there's a big difference between being religious and being godly? A big, a big difference. Um, I used to be super religious. I had all these rules that I'd follow, like I wouldn't go to a rated R movie um, until Passion of the Christ came out, and then it was rated R, so I had to change that, and I only go to a rated R movie if it's about Jesus. Um, I only listen to Christian music. But what began to happen was that I began to put my rules onto everybody else. And if you go to an R-rated movie, or if you go to a country music concert, you're, you're a pagan. I still kind of think that, but... <laughs> 
Um, bad, bad example. Um, but, but that happens when, when you are religious, but not godly. Like this guy was a priest. He was going down the road and he wasn't going to get messy or dirty. I mean, that guy, he, he didn't know he could have been dead. And he was a priest, and if he touched something that was dead, he would have defiled himself. He wouldn't have been able to go to the temple himself. And he didn't want that. So maybe the priest thought, you know what? I'll pray for him. I'll pray for him. I've discovered, because of me and some other ministers that I talk to um, quite regular, like, and this has nothing to do with anyone else. Like, I'm just going to confess something. You know, sometimes when people say uh, that I'll tell people I'll pray for them, just so I actually don't have to deal with them. And listen, sometimes it's the only thing we can do is pray for them. You know, I still have some friends in Kentucky, and there's not a lot I can do for them when they're going through a hard time except pray for them. But the thing that I've really discovered most is that oftentimes people need our presence more than they need our prayers. And I'm not saying prayer isn't important. I'm not saying that God doesn't work through our prayers or God doesn't do some great things through our prayers. But oftentimes our presence is more important than our prayers. You know, this guy had been beaten and stripped and laying half dead on the road. He doesn't need prayer time. And I know some of you are thinking, well, God, God could heal him miraculously. Yeah, he could have. But healing is usually a process, and it usually takes other people. The priest saw him there, passed by, maybe he prayed. I know some Christians, though, that they'll pray for you, but they won't even talk to you. He says this, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And the crowd's shocked because the Levite, this was a guy that was in charge of the temple. Like he was always there. He, he was in charge of cleaning things up and organizing things and making sure everything was ready to go. He was one of the biggest volunteers in the church. He was the one making sure all the I's were dotted, all the T's were crossed. This guy would have had a T-shirt on that says, hey, I heart my church. But if you were outside the church, he didn't care about you. You weren't his responsibility. It was this group of people that, that made me consider getting out of ministry. People who are so inward focused that they don't see how their attitudes affect people that are lost. Now, I've told you many of the stories of, of, of ministry of mine, from some of my fault, some other people's fault. But I had a friend say this the other day, and it's not true, but it's funny. Um, he said, um, you know, I, I love Chick-fil-A and, and um, they're closed on Sunday, and, and I respect that. They're such a Christian organization because uh, they're closed on Sunday and they won't open up. And uh, another guy said, um, it's not because they love Jesus. It's because they don't want to deal with Christians after church. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true that the least favorite day for people to work in the restaurant industry is Sunday. Like, I wish that would change. And if we begin to see people as Jesus sees people, we'll not just see a server. We'll see a single mom who, that's trying to make ends meet. Like We don't see an, an idiot in the drive-thru who can't get anything right. We see a college student who, if he wasn't working in the drive-thru, wouldn't be able to attend college. 
When we see people as Jesus sees people, it literally begins to change our heart toward people. And instead of, uh, or because some people think that they can fix people with words or phrases. Like they think, well, I can just give them a a quick thing. Um, I was in a restaurant one time and and one of the waiters was just um, unloading on me. Um, And because I'll listen to people. He said, man, there's this, this Christian in here right before me. And he said, so how do you feel about breaking the commandment and working on Sunday? I said, I would have told him, how do you feel about coming in and making me wait on you on a Sunday? <laughs> You're forcing me to work in a place that's open on Sunday. But we think we can pe- fix people sometimes with, fra- with phrases. And I've said these things to people, and, and maybe you have too. But when we see people as as Jesus sees them, our our vocabulary begins to change about them. And sometimes we say things that that don't need to be said in the moment. This guy's on the ground. He's naked. He's bleeding. He's beaten half to death. And we say things like, you'll get over it. Hey, Frank, you'll get over it. I can see you don't have any clothes on. You're bleeding. You're naked. You're about half dead, but don't worry. You'll get over it. And listen, it could be true. But probably eventually he'll get over it. But just because it's true doesn't mean that it needs to be said at that moment. Like you'll get over it. It's not a phrase that, that we say to people who are, who are in need at the moment. This is one of my favorites. Just be positive. Just, just be positive. Why do you have to be so negative all the time? You're always so negative. Like when someone's beaten and they're half dead, like that's not the time to lean over and say, hey, be positive. Take that frown and turn it upside down. He's saying, I'm going to take this foot and put it there. <laughs> but it's a great thing to say. But not if somebody's in pain at the moment. It doesn't fix them. There's another one. Like see the good in everything. Don't you know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him? Like I believe that's true. I've seen it in my own life. But when someone's on the ground, naked, bleeding, and half dead, that does not help them. Ten years later, they may be able to look back and see the good that God brought from it. But in the moment, it doesn't help. Sometimes we try to fix people with those phrases. And listen, we can't fix people with phrases. We can't. It takes participation. And Jesus shows us that. It says, but a Samaritan... And when he said that word, everybody would have, would have gasped. They hated Samaritans. The most likely hero in the story is a Samaritan. It says, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. Now, pity's okay, but I want to be clear. Like, pity has no power to change anything. Like, I know, because I have pity on people or things before and haven't done anything about it. Let me give you an example. How many of you have seen the... Um, the commercial, like in, in the SPCA commercial, Sarah McLaughlin's singing this in the arms, uh, like, and they got some jacked up dog on there and a four-eyed cat. Like the first time I saw that, I was like, man, this is awful. Like I felt pity in my heart for about seven seconds. I even thought about liking cats. But then I realized I had a remote and I could change the channel. Like I felt pity, but I didn't give them a dime. Like sometimes we feel pity for something or for someone, but pity is powerless to change the world. Unless pity leads to action, it doesn't work. That's what I see in a lot of churches, man. They're, they're full of pity for lost people. 
They, they, they hate it that they look at their community and they think, man, all these people are going to go to hell without Christ, but they aren't willing to do anything about it. That's why thousands of churches each year are closing their doors because pity is powerless to change the world. But Jesus not only said that the Samaritan had pity on him, that he went on and talked about his behavior. Since he went to him. Jesus said pity caused him to go to the man and he bandaged his wounds. He, he got involved in the mess. Like, there are too many of us, I think, that are scared of guilt by association. If I'm seen with them, they might think that, that I'm, I'm like them. Like, aren't you glad Jesus didn't have that attitude? Like, Jesus didn't care what they said about him. Too many people are too consumed with what people think about them in, in, on a consistent basis. And people say, Josh, how do you deal with that in your own life? And, like, I just asked myself the question Paul did. Am I trying to please God or am I trying to please man? Because probably I'm not going to do both. So the two men that walked by this guy, they were religious, but they weren't godly. The Samaritan, he wasn't religious, but, but he was godly because he got involved with the guy. So they poured oil and wine on him, and then he put the man on his own donkey. But he was willing to inconvenience himself. He realized that, hey, this isn't about me. Like, there's this guy right here, and his life's more important than my convenience. So they brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. In other words, he made an investment in this guy's healing. He didn't just take him and drop him off. He took him in and said, hey, I'm going to make my way back around. And when I come back around, I'll take care of whatever I need to take care of. And Jesus asked the guy, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Like he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. And Jesus said, hey, go and do likewise. So what I'm asking you to pray this week is that you would see people as Jesus sees people. Just that simple prayer. But I'm going to tell you, it'll change you. Maybe today you're here and you feel like that person that's half dead and, and beaten. And I just want to tell you this, like hiding never leads to healing. And there are some of you that you've been hiding, you've been pushing some things back, you've been uh, scared to death to, to take that next step. But listen, hiding never leads to healing. And today is a day for you to make a decision. I'm going to ask you to stand and whatever decision you need to make today, whatever God's laying on your heart, I'm going to ask you to come forward and to make that decision. Father God, we're thankful for today. Lord, we're thankful that you didn't just have pity on us, but that you took action by sending Jesus to die for us. Father, I pray this week that we will begin to see people as Jesus sees people. That we'll be willing to set our own convenience, our own desires, our own wants aside change the world. We thank you for your story in Luke today and the Good Samaritan and what we can learn from it, Father. I pray that it changes us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.